and welcome to Point of Origin episode 76, the show where Heather Ash decides to tackle late stage capitalism. You know, at least it's more entertaining than Monopoly. <laughs> Although I guess maybe that's not really fair judgment because this is a good thing and Monopoly is just, you know, evil. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like if you really dug into one particular corner of the Monopoly board, it kind of tackles it where the jail is a is a slave labor force. A slave labor force that you can buy your way out of. Out of. Jail. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, fun times, that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is a, a low-key way of uh, saying maybe she's a socialist. <laughs> you know what? Um, Just from, like, her first episode, I wouldn't be shocked. Dude, I was, uh, so I, I was telling you before we started recording that the trivia was, you know, eh, I learned some funny stuff. I was expecting other things that are just going to remain headcanon, I guess, in my head. That kind of uh -huh. stuff. But I somehow managed to miss until right this second that the guns used in the episode by the administrator and his bodyguards. And I'm so mad at myself because how did I miss this? Because it's so obvious now that I know. <laughs> They're using Nintendo zappers. Sawed oh off Nintendo god. zappers. Which as soon as you know it, oh my god. It, uh, yeah, that shape of the barrel was distinctive. Yeah. That's so funny. Kudos to the costume department, props Hell department. Yeah. That was, uh, that's how you make something versatile. <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. Love Sorry, it. Sorry, completely tangential, but it just cracked me up. <laughs> you know what? I'd rather do that than what every freaking like, sci-fi action movie does. There's this one, like, there's this one water gun. I don't remember the name of it, but there's this one water gun. It's really? like just complicated and big enough looking that like it gets used constantly as like a slightly sci-fi heavy arms like big gun kind of thing. I've seen like an infographic that showed like various different <laughs> media sources that, that all had the same freaking fake gun. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That's Somehow worse. Than, I don't, yeah, that's definitely worse than the P90s. Is at least P90s are a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> not that the water gun isn't. It's not just a concept. Somebody isn't just holding a metaphor. But you know what I mean. Aren't they? <laughs> Aren't they though? Aren't they though? And with that question, <laughs> that metaphorical question, I'm Mel, <laughs> and I'm Liz. And I have to say, she's not the only one. Heather Ash isn't isn't the only one who's had the question i guess that led her to write this episode and i mm -hmm. guess the question is what is capitalism what is its presence in our life um, oh there are so there's one line in this episode that i'm like ooh, that that's some pandemic feelings right there yeah yeah don't get me started on that there were some accidental things there i see i see pandemic yeah. shit though everywhere you know nowadays we all do it's just what we do we, we, we draw yeah. those parallels but what i love about this is is Shock, this is actually quite similar to a Star Trek episode. I'm so shocked. <laughs> that never happens. But I love how these two extremely long-running sci-fi shows, uh, well, series, iterations, uh, have some, so many things in common. It's just how bizarre. Strange. I, I wonder how that works. Anyway, yeah. uh, I actually really do love this ep these episodes of Voyager. It's in the last season, which is always kind of fun. A last season of a show can be really shitty or really good, depending. Like, 
Because they either go for broke or they've given up. Yeah, yeah honestly, yeah. But yeah, no, Voyager did a pretty good job, I think, for the most part. And I think Workforce was a pretty good one. It has a similar, very similar premise. They kept exploring something that is uh, not in this one. At, well, not as prevalent, which is a uh, labor shortage, which speaking of parallels is something I hear a lot these it's days in the news. kind of... I felt like it was kind of, like, winked at briefly. Yeah, yeah, it was winked at briefly in, like, same kind of way they were not mentioning why these people were there, like, why they were chosen. Like, they could have really easily said, like, oh, they're penal, you know? Like, they could have made it an Australian mm -hmm. thing. Like, no, this is where we throw them. <laughs> uh, but no, 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 no. They didn't do that. So instead, it's like, oh, shit, is this, like, a caste system thing, maybe? Or, like, a kidnapping thing, maybe? Yeah, well, that's the thing, because, like, there's there's a point um trafficking it's probably trafficking there's a point where hammond mentions that they want addresses i'm an idiot it's trafficking duh that's why they all come from the mines yeah uh-huh oh the minute the instant he said they want addresses Right, now that made sense. I just thought they wanted to get off the planet originally as a kid. I, again, I didn't think about it until just now that they were trying to bring in fresh labor from off-world mm -hmm. because they're literally trafficking. Good job, Heather Rash. That's awesome. That's a lot yeah. more heavily explored in the um, Voyager episode. Like, uh -huh. it's literally, like, the thing. Like, they're literally That's what they're talking in about. flashbacks. They're, like, they have the thing done to them. You know, they're, they're pulled, they're rescued, they're put off to the side, they're told they're going to be given medical treatment, and instead they're brainwashed and turned uh, into workforce. Like, it's gross awful. and creepy, and yeah. it's supposed to be. This one does it in a different way. This is not, that's not a criticism. It should yeah. be done in a different way, because otherwise it's like, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. And also she's talking shows about that something she knows slightly what she's different. Doing. <laughs> exactly, because so it shows that she knows what she's, she's doing. She has a similar story quo. to tell, but yeah. a different one. Mm -hmm. And so on. And she, I think she does a very successful job. This episode, oh, yeah. as I texted you, is just a different caliber episode, in my opinion. But yeah, that trafficking part, that's just blowing my mind right now. Sorry, this is such a well-done episode. <laughs> yeah, this episode shows so... There's so many tiny moments of evidence of how well she constructs a story. Just in, like, the cold open alone, which we'll get to in a second because we need to actually start from the beginning. But I do just want to, while we're still on the trafficking thing, which we'll get into more in depth when we get to that scene. How well constructed she does this episode is that when that line is presented, it is presented from people who do not know enough information. So that from the information they have, it sounds like, well, yeah, the planet they're on sucks. They want access to a better planet. But the viewers have already, by this time, seen that the leader of this planet likes the status quo. Yeah. So he definitely doesn't want to leave this planet. To agree with that, uh, an element I think it's, could, be, could have been in the script. I, think it, I feel like it was more of a directing choice. So either way, kudos to the team. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of that, as a kid and in the millions of times I've seen this episode since then, Millions is only a slight over-exaggeration, yeah. honestly, to be fair, because I fucking love this episode, episode, as we'll yeah. definitely get into later. There's a really extreme, obvious, extremely obvious reason why yes, I love yes, this episode yes. so much. Uh, like, I wonder what it could be. Um, but there's a scene where he's talk the administrator guy is talking to Brenna, which, honestly, giving her an Irish name was such a... Mm, <laughs> chef's kiss mm. right well done you uh -huh. <laughs> that was that that one clicked as well for me that's i was just saying earlier how um i didn't know there was a lot of details because i've seen it too many times now but that's actually a blatant lie because i noticed two details one her name clever and two when he uh, at one point is reading over paperwork that she gives him he before he grabs it he picks up a red cloth a handkerchief 
to protect his hands so he doesn't have to touch the dirty metal. Oh, I didn't even see that. It was amazing. Honestly, I don't know I don't know if I would have caught it if it I have to credit uh Childish Gambino for this because it was an element in his This is America video where every time people were picking up guns, where every time he put, yes. he put them down, it was on a pillow. It was a yes, really strong thing. It was everybody was uh, you know, treating everything all all the guns with such reverence. And so that's kind of a thing that's been sticking out in my head ever since. But yeah, it was, uh, as soon as I saw that, I went, oh, shit, such a little thing. It's so obvious, too, once you think about it. Like, duh, he's a, he's an elitist asshole who thinks himself so above. He mm -hmm. literally thinks himself so detached from Brenna, even, that he won't even touch the thing that, again, that also makes sense. People who are used as the uh, intermediaries, they're not, they're not as low as those they watch over, but they're definitely not good enough to actually mingle with the high yep. society, so... Everything about that interaction and all the ones he has were spot on, but that detail with the uh, cloth before he touched the clipboard, really, that one got me. I was like, ooh, you fucking prick. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, his name means cold. This completely tracks. That guy's, you know, name being cold. Uh, speaking yeah. of apt naming, uh, <laughs> I had to relook it up because I couldn't remember. Brenna's name means descendant of the sad one. And she's oh, an, it's an Irish name. So, uh, and uh, you, you definitely, you, you definitely have a detailed history of yeah, uh -huh. Ireland's uh, relationship with other countries. Yeah. Uh, namely, a singular big brother that likes to mm -hmm. sit on sacred rocks, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and may have done this exact same fucking thing. Uh, Great naming, wow. I mean, it's not like that country is the only one that used these kinds of practices when in their course of subjugation. But yeah, this fucking tracks. But yeah, so uh, so I gotta say, I uh, I really do like the uh, the naming in this one. Absolutely. Heather Ash seems to be the one you can um, trust for... <laughs> I should really say this lightly, considering how one of her episodes was on an Aztec culture, and that really should not be considered the most accurate, if at all accurate, <laughs> of representations, considering how they were all white. As far as yeah. I can tell. Yeah. Well, I think we decided that wasn't there... God, I can't even remember, but wasn't Oh, that's right, because they were, like, transplanted. Like, the people yeah. who had been there were, were Aztec, and they were no longer there, and that's why it was totally valid for these people to be here. Yeah, I think that's what it <laughs> yeah, was. Yes, right, because he even says, we are not Aztec at one point. I, you're right, there's there's a guy who said that, so fine, whatever. Anyway, I still stand by. I probably yeah, yeah, shouldn't no. say yeah. she's that accurate, blah, 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 blah. But it does seem like she isn't terrible at this, so she seems to be the one that you can trust with the culture-based stories, mm -hmm. or, or like illusion-based. There we go. Culture illusion-based stories. Those seem to be her yeah. bread and butter. But yeah, I think that like again, we've we've said this before because two of our favorite writers are Robert C. Cooper and Heather Ash, and we've I've I've made this distinction before when I was saying about how they both like to ask questions, but they ask different questions. She asks pointed questions, whereas Robert C. Cooper leaves you asking questions yourself but like on purpose he's more um, of a philosopher but i do not say that in a in a mean way because while yeah. i genuinely fucking hate philosophy and philosophers <laughs> well, for the most yeah. part he isn't a philosopher i just I, I want on record i am saying he has a more philosophical air to him but i don't think he treads into dangerous territory yeah well that's he's more, he has a more philosophical air because he goes more after themes i think uh, where she goes after specific concepts. Every yeah, like time. that thing. I, well, I think what I said was that he offers a portal, kind yes. of. 
because yeah, he's giving you a view in, and you get a whole bunch that you can suss yourself what everything means, suss it all out yeah. yourself. And then she does a similar thing where you can also do like, your a fair amount of your own sussing. <laughs> yeah, but you're right; it's much more pointed on like an actual hey, this element of society versus here is a society. Yeah. And I think because of that, she has to be more detail oriented on that kind of stuff. Because if you if you don't have the details, then you're you miss making your point, really. No, you're yeah. not wrong, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I genuinely cannot get over. <laughs> the last time I saw this episode was a few years ago, and it's just amazing how much more I was able to pick up on, like with this episode. Just appreciation alone, <laughs> it just kept ratcheting up because she really, it, she does, she knows her shit. Like she wrote a tight compact episode that didn't say shit implied plenty and mm -hmm. you definitely felt like something was told also i just loved the character interactions they were all different they were beautiful like they actually purposely were lumping sam and jack together to be in a romantic area like oh, they're absolutely. supposed to be intimate at the very least even you know, mm -hmm. but, you know but too hard working to actually be, have time to focus on that which it makes sense so it isn't something that takes away from the story while also being heavily implied. You have just whatever relationships going on with J uh, Daniel and this new, whatever new chick of the fucking week. I think her name's Keegan. She was cool, though. I liked her. I honestly wish I could have gotten more of her. Yeah, she was good. Teal had his usual role of kind of being there. Yeah. But yeah, I uh, I love the interactions there alone. But as you definitely know, I complain a lot about how Hammond, I don't like complain a lot, but I have definitely complained before about Hammond not being used as much because he's more of, you know, the daddy figure. Oh, that's creepy sounding. He's more of the father figure in the father background. Father figure. Yeah, that, that word's been ruined. Uh, <laughs> he's more of the father figure who watches over in the background. So he's not really, his presence isn't as required in, you know, large amounts. Yeah. But it makes him all the more impressive when he's actually a focal point of any kind. And that interaction that he has with Janet is a, just an amazing scene because it actually goes on for more than 50 fucking seconds. It's not uh -huh. just her explaining medical shit to him because he needs to know it as the father of the group. It's actually them interacting. And, and then my favorite part about it is it has a military element to Absolutely. it at the end where he talks about doing like an infiltration thing and she goes do you need a volunteer and he doesn't go no doctor your job is to be a doctor he goes i'll keep that in mind and i'm like oh it's fucking right she knows how to fucking do this because you have to be a fucking military trained person to be there and also I just, you I probably want every a med doctor hell yeah you don't know what state they they're gonna be yeah. in well i just love the reminder that i also need a lot i forget a lot that like the cooks and the med medics and trained. everything they're all trained. Yeah. You, know, you hear about the stories from like World War II and blah, 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 but I wasn't there. I didn't see it. No, yeah. <laughs> like I've read books. What do you want from me? So I love these moments that prove, oh yeah, that's right. This chick heals and shoots. Mm -hmm. That quandary is up to her to decide <laughs> how yeah. that works. But I love the reminder. And so I just really appreciate that small addition. What's impressive about that is that we spend maybe five minutes all together at SG-1. Yeah. And yet they both still felt very strong in this episode. It's such a small addition, and yet it adds a ton. Yeah, it's just, it's a it's a well-constructed episode from beginning to end. And uh, we have Heather Ash, the writer, and Peter DeLuise, the director, to thank for that. Yeah, nope, DeLuise did his normal thing here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is season four, episode 10, Beneath the Surface. And let's 
actually just get right in under the surface with it. <laughs> My very first note is actually a shout out to the first text I woke up to you from. Uh, my very first note is Heather Ash writing an opening scene with ha with half a dozen buff shirtless men in it. This is for the girls and the gays. Uh, more episodes should open with half naked men. Yeah, so that's how the episode opens. Is Heather Ash it's knows like her audience? Spanning across like an underground metal, dirty, hot, like you know, like a warehouse kind of. Yeah, you know, you know what yeah. kind of setting we're talking about here. Yeah. And there's there's people in cots and they're starting to wake up and we see Teal'c and we slowly as the scene is getting set, like we see every member of SG1. But what is so great, I there's a boldness to an opening like this that I think shows like this don't risk a lot because especially back in the 2000s when um streaming services weren't really a thing because you you risk like alienating new viewers because they just open and don't tell you at all like they're just like yeah this is normal this is this is what the show's been this whole time right, right. This, the show this whole time has been these people working in this like factory mine area right right but what's so great is that because she knows that like you know this could be the first episode for someone before the cold open ends, Teal, who of course is fighting off the uh, memory whammy because of his, his symbiote in his stomach, tries to get all of SG-1 to remember. And he does like a very like, we're all members of SG-1, but you know, just enough of like the synopsis for the show itself to tell anybody who's new to this show what they're actually watching. <laughs> Because can you imagine starting on this episode? <laughs> One second, I need to look. Did, who? Okay, yeah, completely different people wrote Workforce. Seriously, it's weird how similar this opening is to Workforce in Voyager. Because Tuvok does the same thing. He has literally, I forget what they call it, but it's like their version of night sickness, yeah. what they blame it on. He's in the factory and he starts losing his shit. That's and then he gets, he gets wow. all sweaty, and then he attacks. I forget who he harasses. I, I think it's Seven. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Seven, because she's going by Annika in this one. Mm -hmm. And literally, like, full-on harasses her, like, no, we are part of the crew! Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's a whole thing. But I, mean, I like how they use the aliens for it. it. Well, yeah, they used the Vulcan in that one, which made sense, because they're known for yeah. their mental acuity, so it would yeah, totally make that sense that his mental sense. discipline overcame the stamping process. Yeah. I, I just, it's really, it's really smart. It's, you know, I, I think there's something really powerful about, because we, we make, or I make jokes a lot about how there's like three basic openings for this show. Right. <laughs> we're either in a briefing, we're walking out of the gate onto a forested planet, or we're about to walk through the gate onto a forested planet. <laughs> and sometimes we're the background of a share music video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I think there's something really bold and beautiful about opening with something completely different like this, where you're just like, yeah, hey, th this is what's been happening from the beginning. I don't know what you're talking about. But because of the fact that you do have to make this, you can't alienate new viewers, you have to make sure by the cold open 
that someone explains what the fuck is going on at least a little bit but what's good is that like he doesn't give too much away so that there's still a mystery for people to be solving even for the viewers because it's like even though Teal has been like no we're not supposed to be here we're supposed to be friends with SG-1 viewers still don't know how this happened right and they do and she does a great job of like dispensing the information throughout the episode I think the pacing of this episode is perfect one other thing I really love on you know going with that is mm -hmm. a really cool thing I liked about this episode yeah. was if you had uh, been a repeat, a repeat visitor at this point you had been watching week to week and this might have been a visually jarring episode for a couple of you know reasons one all the reasons you just described and then two everybody has a distinct well <laughs> I see myself laughing you'll know exactly why everybody technically has a physical distinct difference going on in this and this is supposed to like indicate that shit's gone down i guess um and just to kind of show that oh everything's different now uh for example sam's hair is shorter the pixie yeah it's it's much more yeah this one should be what i call the ice pixie honestly yeah uh jack has a beard which honestly that one's not that new either but and whatever. a hat the hat yes he does like the hat teal has lost his goatee and Finally. uh <laughs> what Amen. i love is the note here that and daniel is seen without his glasses for much Again. of the episode and it's like i'm sorry that's supposed to be a new thing no what? actually here yeah the that so that was in a freaking trivia note Mm-hmm. no i literally commented on what is the actual physical difference with him which is daniel's giving us a preview of season nine scruff there we go yeah see it's like speaking of beard change let me let me just re make sure yeah yeah o'neill had a noticeable beard growing carter's hair was cut much shorter and jackson was without glasses throughout the episode and it's like they didn't watch season and two, so clearly. many others they didn't watch season two <laughs> like <laughs> my dude my dude glasses come off yeah they do uh-huh like everybody else that you described had an actual difference like, hair can be cut easily, but it doesn't just grow back immediately. Yeah. Facial hair isn't an immediate thing. Glasses? Look, I can see. Look, I'm blind. Look, I can see. Look, I'm blind. It's it's not... Yeah, mm -hmm. it's not the same. Mm -hmm. So, I understand what they're going for here, and I am echoing the sentiment. I do appreciate it, but that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> It doesn't take away the humor. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do, I do like how it's... Uh, for repeat viewers, it might have been a moment of... What? <laughs> yeah or or you might think that everybody you know this was like after a hiatus which honestly it really really could have been that oh absolutely um or, which now that i know, say that that's much more likely to have been the case or <laughs> back in early 2000 like you don't know that you're catching every episode in order oh exactly yeah but it, it could have been a really fun element of it that they were going for which yeah, is absolutely. no ooh, i think not only great. is it jarring it. because they're not where you're expecting them but mm-hmm yeah, so uh, the the end of the so Teal'c giving everyone the lowdown before the cold open is basically everyone's lining up for lunch or dinner or whatever, and Sam gets given slop uh, by Keegan, who clearly does not like her. <laughs> I I am choosing to see. So, I don't know what the backstory is, but I'm choosing to see an unsaid backstory there that explains this animosity rather than it being weak writing that, of course, the only two chicks, because there's three chicks, they can't all be friends. So two have to get along and the other two have to be catfighty for some I fucking reason. I think there's reason. a vague insinuation there um, in Keegan's behavior and the, the complaints she does have about Sam that she used to be Brenna's favorite. Okay. 
Yeah, sure. I read White Oleander. I could see that. Because, like, her biggest complaints about Sam are that Sam, quote-unquote, kisses up to Brenna and, like... Yeah, like, no, like I guess you're right. Kind of okay, yeah, I guess you're right. There is that thing, too. I've just... I've heard that as an element in other episodes of other things everywhere like oh they think they're better than whatever and i just i guess i just immediately just count it because it sounds like the most bullshit thing ever it sounds braggy because i'm basically <laughs> just insinuating that i don't do this personality flaw so i don't understand it but i just don't do it in this way how about yeah. that i definitely i definitely understand the concept of not liking somebody because they're fucking uppity so yeah no uh yeah sure yeah i get that makes sense yeah i definitely think there's something in the fact that a all of her complaints about Sam are that she's always, like, calling attention to herself and kissing up to Brenna and, like, right, oh, right. look at how smart I am. Here's yeah, no, you're right. It's not that unsaid. It's not the... that unsaid. Yeah, and then also, I thought there was something very pointed in the fact that she's the one trusted to distribute food. I guess I just assumed that was random and or a seniority thing, but your thing totally makes sense. Yeah, I just, I think it's it, that she no, that makes sense. No, that totally with, makes like, sense. A position of no, feeling threatened, you're right, favoring. makes complete sense. Yeah. Especially since I have to, I have to completely admit that I was wrong. It's not that unsaid. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was unsaid at that moment, so my brain went, it's unsaid. Watched the rest of the episode and went, I wonder why this is so unsaid. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so she doesn't like Sam and tries to stiff her on bread, and Sam's clearly like, this fight is stupid, just give me the She's bread, like, why are bitch, you acting feed like me. this? It's a cracker, um, it turns out to be a fucking cracker, yeah. so what are you fighting me on here for? This isn't exactly quality food, okay? And uh, Jack is ready to start a brawl over Sam getting a cracker. <laughs> And I love that even with their minds wiped, Daniel is ready to fight Jack for no reason. <laughs> it's been four minimum-ish years. He, his animosity is now officially muscle memory. <laughs> yes! You can't wipe that away. Like, you cannot wipe that away. This man is speaking, and for some reason I'm angry. <laughs> Dude, dude, dude. The trivia for this episode did do one thing for me, which is supports all of my hopes and dreams. Uh-huh. Because according to the DVD commentaries, yes, Thera and Jonah were supposed to kiss to confirm that they were in a relationship. Instead, we're left with this, I'm going to fight for my woman's cracker. I'll take it. Because <laughs> I need any confirmation that they're in a relationship. I, I, I love it. I will say, I don't think you need the kiss. I think the last scene with them is confirmation enough. Trust me, I need no convincing. I was... Yeah. That scene where she puts her head on his shoulder. Let's oh, say I'm thinking head, of that one Let's exactly. say they were just friends yeah. up to that point. That's still a bit of a move to just do out of nowhere, especially while you're dealing with the complications of potentially getting your memories changed. And the fact that at no point do they have a conversation saying, like, I guess this is the end of things. Instead, they don't and still continue to act intimately with each other tells me that they were just like, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. That is all confirmation and yeah. beautiful and wondrous. And they all and but wondrous. explicitly in that scene say, well, you know, I liked that we could be together when we... Because they, they literally say there was one nice thing about it. They literally say there was right. one nice thing about it. And there's only yeah. one nice thing about yeah. it. It's the fact that they didn't have the chain of command to separate yep. them. Yep. I just loved seeing it on record that they were like, yeah, yeah, no, they were definitely, they were oh, together. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 
with that though the reason why they dropped the kiss was because of o'neill already kissing carter in window of opportunity i guess they thought it was gratuitous and i'm just i'm sad i would have loved this uh inclusion i'm okay because of all the reasons we just said i'm okay with this uh, you know omission yeah but yeah whatever um this also does tell me that the other thing that's seemingly implied to me is that daniel is uh in fact fucking that kagan chick absolutely absolutely listen he he picks up women on planets when he has his memory. You think an amnesic Daniel wouldn't accidentally get a girlfriend? Oh, Obviously no, he got a girlfriend. I just like how he... Sh- I, I picture this chick having been here for a little while longer. And it's just wonderful to me that I imagine this guy walking in and, slightly and befuddled her- <laughs> from a recent memory stamping. And she just literally, within a day, oh, everybody's hitting that. The only lament I have is that it's, as with a lot of things in this show, and many others, this is not just a criticism here, but it's completely dropped. It's not yeah. as egregious as, you know, Jack's non-baby. But yeah, there's literally not even a goodbye. I know that because of the beauty of them never establishing that they're in a relationship, although she touches his head all intimately at one point when he's getting all weird. So uh-huh. again, it's pretty... Oh, they yeah, they were. I mean, I did text you some jokes about how this episode is also Daniel's gay conversion therapy can episode. Because <laughs> every time his memory starts to come back, he's always, like, talking about Jack or looking at Jack, and it's always Keegan trying to pull him away. <laughs> this episode is about late-stage capitalism and gay conversion therapy camps. My favorite part about this is that this establishes to me that there were two on-screen relationships going on there, minimum. Mm-hmm. Where's the privacy for this? Because they were all sleeping in cots and shit. Like, where were they doing this? Am I just I mean, really naive? Am I we just don't know really where a lot naive? Of are. Yeah. Wow, man, there's so many people who must ignore so many things going on under blankets. Like, every time you see yeah. movement, you must just slam your eyes back shut again. Listen, if if you ignore it when it's their turn, they'll ignore it when it's your turn. It's just common courtesy. This honestly probably explains the procreation of the human race in the early days. <laughs> anyway, so, let's do this. Now let's actually get past the cold open. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Tilk tries to get them. Uh, Daniel's ready to fight Jack, despite not knowing what's going on. Um, Teal just knows gets... that he feels some sort of just deep inherent rage when he looks yeah. at this man. <laughs> It's exactly. almost like there's just years of, of difficult resentment. marriage there. <laughs> so, yeah, same thing. Resentment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Teal gets dragged away, um, and everyone is told he has night sickness. Sure. Yeah. These people he's, are literally, I'm guessing, crazy. all brainwashed. So, you yeah. Literally, that the beauty of that is even I Brainwashing can't and gaslighting. complain. That's all it is. Right? I can't even complain about this because it's a combination of literal brain manipulation and as you just literally mentioned, psychological manipulation. Mm -hmm. So literally this all tracks. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, he's been taken away. He's being taken care of upstairs because he has night sickness, which he's just getting the re-brainwash. And Sam comes to Brenna and she's like, hey, I know how we can make these generators work better. Blah, 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 and even with amnesia, she knows how to do crazy science shit to, like, upgrade these generators. 
And Brenna's like, oh, oh, uh, all right, yeah. I'll, you know what? Give me that information and we'll see what we can do about this. Like, she's impressed. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. So, I know I literally just said I can't complain, but I have a minor complaint. Um, I'd like to submit a proposal for a minor complaint mm -hmm. uh, that maybe you can help me with. So, I... There's a lot to explain this away. Don't get me wrong. Like, for example, even in real life amnesia, there's examples of people who will forget all their personal details, but will still know how to ride a bike or something. Like, they don't forget all that yeah. shit. Another example, they will remember complex math, but they yeah. won't, rem won't remember their name. You know, I, I, I get that. I've heard of that. I've read about it anyway. That, that isn't my complaint. My complaint is... This stamping thing seemed to be, to me, to be more of a uh, broad spectrum kind of thing. Just like a, you know, because if, if it was tailored to each individual, this would be much more complicated, I feel like. I don't think this yeah. would be as successful. So I feel like it has to be something that it can be like a more of a one and done process that can work for anybody that comes along your way. Which is laughable then why they thought it would work on an alien, but whatever. Yeah, um, right. If you're going to kill him anyway, like if you knew that was a pro an, an option, just shoot him. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. God. Anyway, just Nintendo zapper them. Come on. But my issue is that literally no one questions. And I know it's because they're told not to by the brainwashing. I get it. But no one questions the fact that this chick knows complex math. Like she's just, she even has a line where she says, I didn't just make this up on the top of my head. I have all this stuff. It's like, great, cool. How? When did you go to college for this? How, how, when did you, when when were you learning calculus in the mines? I I have questions. Um. So I've got I've got two things to say to that. Um. One, that's actually part of what has at least SU one starting to ask questions. Like her saying like I've got these things that like that's part of like the prompting on their end. Uh. But I think for like everyone else who's not more directly involved in this conversation. Um, it does feel like, especially with some of the questions, pointed questions Daniel asks throughout this episode, like a lot of what this memory stamp thing is, is kind of like just an encouragement not to look into things too deeply. It's, um, because I even said like, uh, I, I, I made a note later on where like Daniel literally asks the inception question of how did you get here? Yeah. Yeah, the whole like... You know, you know you're in a dream if you can't remember how you got here. That thing. And it's literally that. It's like, until you ask the question, it doesn't occur to you that it's a question that needs to be asked. I, I get you. No, I, I, yeah. I, I, I totally understand that. I've even been mad about that on other things, which is I get mad when people will say, why didn't you ask the question that you didn't know to ask? And it's like, yeah, well, exactly. you know, it's funny. It's almost as if I didn't know huh. to ask it. Huh. Um, yeah, no, that's, I, I understand that part. Yeah. But th my problem here is that they didn't know to ask it. <laughs> in so far as I, I get that the brainwashing thing is what is to blame here. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the episode is literally clearly trying to say, exactly what you just did which is yeah it just kind of turns your head yeah <laughs> like this doesn't look like this doesn't look like anything to me that kind of thing I'm, I'm here for it mm -hmm. because i have to be it's literally <laughs> presented to me the beauty yeah. of it is, is i can complain all i want it's still there oh, yeah. absolutely <laughs> but it i have to find it funny that everybody is doing like minor type work or factory type work and then this chick's going differentials yeah yeah absolutely well, there's also the thought that, like, so we figured out that they definitely want the addresses for the gate for trafficking, yes? But yeah. they don't have it yet. No. Which means the workforce they have right now are just are unwanted, lower class I'm guessing, people, people that they've 
raised down there. So like yeah, either they interbred or don't anybody have that's unwanted in their education own to know that what she's saying is odd oh, yeah. for her to have the information. Well, that's on. That, that, that that's kind of the double edged thing there though, yeah. it's because so like there's that's why it has to be much more leaning on the, of the looking the other way thing. thing yeah, yeah, that thing because it's the more educated you are, the more you're going to notice the finer details of why yeah. someone's wrong. But the more uneducated you are, the more you're going to notice the blockiness of the wrongness, which yeah. is, I know what rocks are. What is math? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you using complex maths? Yeah. What is happening right now? That doesn't happen, and that has to be because of that, as you called it, the perception filter thing. And again, yeah. I'm here for it because mm-hmm. it literally is the only thing that can explain it. But it does make me laugh when people will watch this chick do the shit. Her boyfriend will watch her compile it as a report. She'll Mm -hmm. take it up to her supervisor. They will interact and discuss about it. And then she'll return having been rejected. And then will lament about that to aforementioned boyfriend. And at no point does anyone go, where's that master's degree from? (laughs) I mean, when it comes down to it, I think any time you tackle brainwashing, there's got to be that element of right no there has to be and it's just it's okay you know what it is it's the same kind of thing that makes me laugh as in a a zombie movie when somebody has to explain what a zombie is to everybody instead of just going oh it's a zombie yeah yeah yeah. yeah. like you should have the person wake up in the dramatic terrifying 28 days later landscape make their way to the barren wasteland finally find a group of survivors and go what the fuck is happening (laughs) and i want i want like almost completely silent hour and a half long movie of just the most stressful psychological thriller of your life and it's almost entirely silent there's no dialogue and i want all of this to happen and i want the ending to be that he finally they finally find salvation they finally find a group of survivors and i want them to come up to the lead survivor that finds them and i want them to ask what why how and i want them to go oh yeah bro it's zombies and then I want the person, I, and I want the person to go. Oh shit! Really? That sucks. Like I want yeah. them to drop their like barren persona too. I want them to go from being a hobo of desperation and just full on straightened up back to gamer nerd personality from twenty years before when the world was young and beautiful. And go. Oh fuck! Really? That's almost the Cornetto trilogies. Not quite as dramatic because they're more bent on the comedy angle, but, like, the Cornetto trilogies exist in those genres that they're telling with the knowledge of those genres. Right. Including the alien one. Like, they, they're even aware that they're in an alien movie. I love that. I love the awareness there. They do it the right way, honestly. But that's what I want. That's what I need. And I want, I want all of that always. So, <laughs> so, yeah, these moments just always make me laugh. Yeah. It's kind of like me saying this works, you know, to steal that yeah. again from CinemaSins. Yeah. Because yeah. it's really funny to me that this does work. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those narrative necessities kind of things. Exactly. It's a necessary evil, and it really is necessary, mm-hmm. because what else are you going to do, a four-part miniseries every time you want to do one of these storylines? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically, uh, Teal'c is getting uh, his alien brain rewiped. Because it worked so well the first time. Right. Uh, Sam is being smart, Jack is being supportive, and Daniel just can't let things go, because <laughs> he's Daniel. <laughs> I love that even brain-wiped Daniel just can't leave shit alone. He's like, hey, you know, that guy, interesting what he said. <laughs> and his girlfriend's like, what? No, stop. <laughs> he's like, but 
But it's interesting, right? No, shut up. Stop it. <laughs> You're pretty. You're not supposed to talk. Stop it. <laughs> A really cool directing element, though, I did like about this, by the way, is everything in this has obviously got a color filter kind of, you know, set mm -hmm. to it. Of the the drab, brownish, rusty, oh, yeah. rust, you know, metal, rust, dirt, shit. Even the clothes they're wearing are orangey-brown. Mm -hmm. And then you have Daniel's bright blue eyes, which was a really yeah, fun just element. Yeah, just The contrast was insane. Uh -huh. Yeah, just like uh, the first ones, another episode where his eyes are popping. <laughs> so, Yeah. We get that little layup of these, just these little hints of things that have, are are already like floating to the surface, despite them being brainwashed. Um, and then we cut to SGC, where Hammond is talking with a, a man we haven't seen before, who is definitely the one percent and definitely a smug dumb fuck, honestly, because. He seriously thought he could just kidnap SG-1 and lie to Hammond's face and get away with it. Yeah, yeah, I love how many of these stories are contingent on the bad guy being stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, again, this isn't really a diss on this show because everybody does it. Yeah. But it's impressive how, how important that is. This man is as stupid as the leader of the, the Nazi episode. Yeah, so I, I get it, but... For once, I'd like them to actually have, somehow, magically, an actual complex villain that isn't a dumbass and can convincingly lie and manipulate, but is also somebody you're willing to toss after one episode, despite putting all of that work into them. Mm -hmm. So I understand why that's not a thing, but it'd be nice. But yeah, so this man thinks he can lie to Hammond and say that SG-1 foolishly went off into a fucking ice age to go investigate like an iceberg or something <laughs> something so stupid where he's like all right well i'm gonna send a rescue team out to look for them and he's like oh i i don't know if that like we've been looking but we haven't seen any evidence they're probably you know but, but he all but says they're probably dead from the weather or whatever and hammond bit just kind of looks at me goes well i'll be sending a rescue team through to <laughs> yeah. look for them <laughs> yeah i love that pause to that very pregnant pause as the guy just doesn't blink for a second as he's internally going god damn it yeah. and then he goes fine yeah as you wish he makes it he meant like kudos to the actor he does a great job of oh, showing like great. why this guy is the mm -hmm. administrators because he does a great job of managing to make his body language appear as though he's really just going I mean, if you want to waste your resources, fine, whatever. I'm just, you know, I'm just annoyed that I'm going to have to rescue your dumbasses most likely or something. Or I'll have to tell the next person that you, then your, your group is dead mm -hmm. or whatever. Fine. But, in, of course, you know, it's because it's fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah. He's, he even does a good job at the end of the episode of trying to continue to maintain control. Like, even yeah, he actually cool does. while he does it. Like. There's a reason this man is where he is. You know what? I take it back a little bit. He isn't entirely stupid. He has to be enough to try to fuck with Ammon, but it could just be that it's because he's inexperienced. He's inexperienced. He's only well, ever he's actually had to do this in planet. his own planet. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, he's only ever had to worry about his own red tape. This is his first interplanetary uh, thing. 
So yeah, uh, he's allowed to make a few missteps. You yeah. know, and I mean, you and I definitely know this. I, I mean, I assume so anyway. I fucking hate talking to people on the phone because I Amen. desperately Amen. need <laughs> visual stimulus to understand mm-hmm. what's happening. Like I accidentally interrupt enough as it is, but on a phone, oh, yeah. I, it's I am a crisis on legs, and when you add a phone into the mix, it's just bad. So I, I can totally see him talking through cameras for the first time, you know, using this element to another planet. Like, it's one thing to try to talk to somebody long distance on your own, from your own culture that you can, you know, you you know their turf enough to be able to figure out what to say. This, you literally know none of the turf. You know Mm -hmm. nothing. So you're automatically probably just going to be a little extra accidentally arrogant. Yeah. Yeah, because he's used to being number one. He's not used to having someone else in power to talk to. So, yeah, he, uh, he accidentally overplays his hand and doesn't know what to do after that because he's never been in this situation before. Not to mention, he's not used to people in a position of power valuing people under them. So he'd probably assume that Hammond would just be like, oh, well, (laughs) you know? Especially since they're supposed to be offering SG-1 um, metallurgy So basically shave his head and call him Bezos. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Perfect. We'll call him Harry Bezos. There we go. But yeah, so Hammond's not going to let this up, and he's going to send a rescue team through. He doesn't buy Harry Bezos' lies. <laughs> yes. Uh, meanwhile, we cut back to uh, seeing Daniel's brain continue to pick things apart. and uh, <laughs> So, Daniel, that's another thing you cannot get rid of. <laughs> yes, and this is where I made the joke in my notes about this just being gay conversion therapy for him, because his dream is jack trying to lead him through the stargate and then keegan behind him trying to tell him to stay here <laughs> it is literally stay here and choose being straight <laughs> that's what this is <laughs> oh but yeah so he dreams about the stargate and jack clearly knowing him and trying to tell him to go through the stargate and we see brenna go up to Calder, and this is the first time we really actually, because we saw him talking with Hammond on the phone, but we didn't really see behind him in the video call. Yeah. This is the first time when Brenna comes up to talk to Calder that we see behind him is like a flourishing city. And we've already heard from the people who are working that supposedly outside is a horrible, cold, icy wasteland that's unlivable. But we see behind Calder in this, like, skyscraper building with, you know, wall-to-wall glass that he can see out of is this beautiful, flourishing metropolis behind him. Which, by the way, is um, what this is based on, is the story Metropolis, by the way. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the silent film by Fritz Lang in 1927, Metropolis, which nice. I have not actually... Oh, shit! Never mind. I uh, I've seen the Criterion Collection, at least some of it. Um, yeah. I think I have seen part of. It. That's that one with that weird robot in it. It's just it's a very pointed visual of, and it was when and she comes in and she's like, hey, you know, Thera has come to me with all of this information for how to increase the productivity with our generators and and do all these smart things to help fix this and everything. And then he looks at the papers, he does the whole thing with the, the, the cloth that you talked about, he looks at the papers, and then he very snidely goes, 
Oh yes, and maybe soon we'll increase productivity enough to cut down on workers. And it was in the second he said that, that I was like, oh, this story is about capitalism. Thank you, Heather Ash. Yeah, this is where it became that and also, like, why the Civil War happened in the States. Like, this mm -hmm. was this is also a bit more of an illusion now at this point, going like, Oh, absolutely. The South being like, how will we manage our farms if we get rid of slavery? But, like, it's like, how will we live? pay for people to take care of but, your like, farms. But, but, like, but if we treat them like people, how will we live? Like, well, maybe you'll throw a few less parties. Yeah, Maybe. my favorite part is that there's a bit a bit more of like a <clears throat> later with a line where asshole McGee says um, they'll never be accepted in the city. And he says, oh, that's okay. We'll put them on a beach planet. Basically, it was we're going to put them on boats and send them to Canada. Yeah. Uh, that's where the illusion breaks down a little bit because in real life, they were going north. But north is where the ice is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here you'd say south but that would definitely not say the right thing here no, you would no, not no, say no. free the slaves send them deep south wait no bad wait, no, not no, that no. one let's not, not do that one not that at all bad bad opposite also it's in space it's not really a north south east or west <laughs> so this is where it becomes like not just capitalism but like but there's like that element there of just oh yeah by the way antebellum <clears throat> yeah it's literally he's basically uh, yeah, because he's dismissing potential technological advancements that could improve the standard of living for the lower class in order to keep them under his heel. That's explicitly the the dark side of capitalism. Oops. Yeah. So yeah, so this episode, uh, she tackled a couple of things here. Yeah! <laughs> 20 years ago! <laughs> No, good for her. Seriously. Uh, give her... I'm very happy the show decided to give her their uh, work. Yes, absolutely. somebody else. Who I don't need to diss because she's gone. She's gone now. The evil is gone now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he basically says absolutely fucking not to Brenna. So tell her no. <laughs> because then what will we do with these untamed masses? Yeah, and you can already see her... Because she's, she, you can already see she's like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you say no to progress? And, like, he does say the whole thing about, you know, like, what's going to happen to them if they're not working, you know, kind of, he, he kind of, you know, he doesn't say the explicit thing yet where they wouldn't fit in the city, blah, 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 yet. But he's basically insinuating it to her enough to where she's like, all right. And he, she kind of, like, cowed, goes back. And Sam comes up excited to, like, find out what kind of progress they're going to make in the generators. And Brenna says, we're not doing any of it. Dude, I just realized, speaking of the trafficking thing, yes. uh, something that made a faint whistling noise as it went over my head all the times in the past that I've watched this. Brenna is a former trafficked person. She's oh, probably. A, that's, that, that's the thing they do is that when, yeah. when they've been there long enough, they're, you know, they graduate into the overseer role. And, and then, then you're grateful and you don't want to. Uh, but that's the thing is she also knows that at any point she him. can get yeah put back yeah. down there. Like, she could she get can, stamped. This can, this can get taken away at any point. She's been given a gift. The reason why I think this is uh, she when he says her his like vague threat or something, I don't know, whatever. But he, at some point he'll say something to her and she'll say it's an honor to serve. Yeah. And the way she does oh, it is so instinctive. Oh, she like looks shit. down and says it so rote. Yeah, so she was exactly she the same way. Mm -hmm. And honestly, before Sam showed up, Keegan was probably the next in line. 
So that does take away a little bit of this thing of her cooperating and being so complicit because it's like, oh, yeah. dude, yeah, that's like, that's dual-layered brainwashing at that mm-hmm. point. Absolutely. Not to mention another another layer of psychological oppression there, too. That's Jeez. grooming. Yeah, that's, it's fucky on so many levels. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, she basically says to Sam, like, we'd have to shut some of them off to do these advancements and in case something went wrong with the ones that weren't shut off it, the 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 generators would be off for too long and if they start to freeze then we fucked yeah and sam starts to go well yeah there's some risk and she goes too much risk you're done and kicks her out and i noticed in this scene i was like interesting that she's now basically a slave but she still has eyeliner do not get me fucking started on that <laughs> I want you to know everything I had was going into not bringing that up this time because I bring it up every time. But thank you for taking that over for me so I didn't have to be the person who brings yeah, it up. I, I figured I would say it for you. Another great uh, – this, this is a good element versus mm-hmm. uh, the annoyance of just like in a zombie movie, every chick has shaved armpits and shaved legs that she can show off mm-hmm. in her Lara Croft shorts. Um, it's great. I love it. It's wonderful. Anyway. <laughs> good note though i do like how this is another way that they kind of without like explicitly explaining it they show that not only has uh, you know a tiny bit of time passed to allow for this but there is some sort of level of communication between brenna and thera <laughs> sam yeah. not just her though she's already shown that that she does regularly interact with all of the workers it's, it's mm-hmm. meant to show that she does actually give a fuck which again yeah. is just lending more weight i think to uh, our theory here that she is one of them oh, originally absolutely. was uh, who knows what originally, originally she was. <laughs> but that extra element is here, too, where she, Sam, uh, feels comfortable arguing. Not, like, arguing, arguing, but she stops and goes, Brenna, I know you were excited about this. Like, what happened? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it isn't just a cowing, too. Like, there's, there's yeah, a, exactly. a, almost mm-hmm. friendship there, you know? And I really enjoy that element of it. I, yeah, I really no, enjoy it's its presence in that, where even when she tells Sam, no, stop, like, seriously, stop, she's not horrifying about it. She's not. She's not awful at any point. She's gently harsh. Yeah, and all of the harshness is for us, we know as viewers, is because she doesn't want to be telling Sam this either. Like, she's unhappy to have to tell Sam this. Also, it's for Sam's own good not to keep pushing it. Yeah. It's for everybody's own good if she's... Everyone's good if Sam stops pushing. Yeah. I also think it's a nice parallel with the fact that Sam is able to push with Jack. I love every interaction between Sam and Jack in this episode. I have nothing to criticize there. No notes. Yeah. And, you know, she's upset. Uh, Jack, you know, comforts her and... Makes him a Giver reference. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was with the Another Life with I handled explosives. I didn't even think about that. Oh, my God. That's so funny. But she kind of looks at him when he says in Another Life. which is like, what do you mean by that? And he's like... Oh, previous yeah, television I series. I uh, played yeah, a different character. Yeah, previous television series. But I do like about this scene is that, like, he's, like, he's, like, the supportive house husband helping the, the um, breadwinner wife. Because there's literally a part where he's like, look, give it a little bit of time and then come back with something smaller, some tiny change to introduce. It was like, first of all, that's really supportive. And second of all, that's actually really good advice. <laughs> yeah. Th- third of all, I'm an idiot. Like, how many times over now? Um, They're clearly in an area that's all to themselves. This is like their own little tent area or something. Yeah. So I'm guessing this is where one has a relationship <laughs> whether there it's in the go. form of supportive conversations about math that you somehow know 
or other Bangin'. things. Yeah. <laughs> if a tent is a shaken, don't come a quaking. <laughs> Fucking, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was a nice scene. Yeah. I did love that scene. I loved that scene so much. I loved them. So this is not the first uh, episode where we've had like little scenes of of uh, indications of romance between or potential romance between Jack and Sam. Just last episode we had some, but I think out of all of the ones we've seen, I like the way Heather Ash writes them best. And I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that it's a woman writing it. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> well, I'm not even saying it because of the fact that, like, oh, men can't write romance. I'm not saying that. But it's kind of like how I've said, and I've said this in, like, a, I've said this for some of my favorite male authors. I tend to notice that most male authors have a handful of types of women they can write even good ones now if they're a good male writer then they have a bigger handful of types of women they can write and they're actual complex characters as opposed to one-dimensional but you can still usually see little formats of the types of women they write into stories and that's not necessarily like me, you know, scolding them or saying men can't write women or whatever. Like some men absolutely cannot write women. But I've noticed that. But I do, I think that maybe the fact that it is a woman writing this, uh, like, potentially romantic scene between these two, it just means that she can come at this relationship from what is meaningful to a woman. <laughs> the kind of things that... So, like, she she probably is like, yeah, I would fucking love a man to, like, see me struggling with some job aspect and, you know, be like, oh, yeah, you'll get him next time and, hey, here's a little, like, maybe try this or, you know, you're, you're good at this, blah, 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 you know? I don't know. I just liked it. And I like other scenes with them later on. No, I, I absolutely adore it. He's never not supportive in real life, but he no, doesn't no. always have this freedom to be this kind of supportive. And she doesn't always have this freedom to come rant to him like a wife. And I just... Yeah. I love boyfriend and girlfriend, Sam and Jack. Yeah. Uh, so we get... Uh, somewhere in between this, we'd had a brief scene um, where the rescue team were in a fucking blizzard calling back to Hammond and saying, we don't see anybody out here. But now we're getting a real scene at SGC where they've come back through and the leader of the rescue team is like, yo, yo, they're, they're not out there. And he's like, well, you didn't, you didn't see any sign of them? No, they're not out there. They would not have gone out there. It's stupid. Even if Sam, even if Major Carter had said that there was something she wanted to see out there, even if Daniel had said there was something that he wanted to see out there, Jack would have never allowed his team to go out into the scenario we were looking for them in. They were never out there. You are being lied to. Well, he doesn't explain. That's why I love his interaction. The, I, yeah, but then Ham is like, so what do you think that means? And he goes, well, I'm not a diplomat, sir. And he's like, I don't want the diplomatic answer. And he's like, you're being lied to. Yeah, I love it. He goes, he goes, Administrator Calder says that Jack thought it was an acceptable risk. Well, I think he's a damn liar. Yes. Great. I love it. Freaking great. It's excellent. 
Yeah, it's so good. But yeah, he's basically like, no, he's fucking lying to you. So yeah, <laughs> Rescue Man calls uh, Calder a damn liar. <laughs> and uh, so we get back to SG-1 uh, and we get back to uh, Daniel basically gathers. I think at this point, Teal has come back down, but he's very focused on avoiding everyone. Like Daniel even tries to like get him to join because he manages to drag Sam and Jack over to a corner to talk. And he even kind of tries to do that with Teal. He'd started by bothering Teal. And Teal just like, don't talk to me. <laughs> and he's like, all right, he'll kill me. So I'm going to leave that alone for now. I'm going to talk to these people. Um, and he presents the Inception dream question of how did you get here? And starts just like probing at all of these like half answers. He's like, how, uh, how did you get here? You know, he's like, oh, I came from the mines. What did you do in the mines? I'm mine. What did you do in the mines? <laughs> I like how he goes, uh, he says, and that's how you two met. And Sam goes, yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Jack goes, yeah. And Sam goes, is it? And yeah. Sam goes, yeah, of course it is. And he just keeps poking at all those very vague answers. He's like, that's not an answer. I want a real answer. <laughs> um, and he just starts to get them thinking. That's basically that scene. Just usual Daniel stuff. Poking holes. Yeah, exactly. That's his job. Uh, and he, he was doing that during, like, dinner or lunch with them. Um, and after, after they eat, Keegan's like, oh, so you, so you made some new friends over there. And he's like, I mean, I'm just talking to him. You know, what's, what's wrong with making new friends? And, um, I, what I think, again, with construction, with Heather Ash's writing construction, I, I, I fucking love it. In this tiny little scene, there's just something very pointed about the dialogue construction where Keegan tells him, if you're friends with those two, you're not mine. And what's what I love about the construction of this sentence that she tells him is on the surface, it's if you're their friends, I'm not your friend. But because of the way she constructed the sentence, it's also got a possessive element to it because she didn't say you're not my friend. She said you're not mine. So really, she's afraid that like they're gonna steal him away from her and it's great it's just great freaking construction no you're not wrong yeah no she uh despite the fact that they don't say or do anything about her character she's yeah. weirdly well-rounded for her brief mm -hmm. moments yeah and they let her be the one who reacts to the light at the end i do like that um so yeah i just i just love that um then everyone's back to work because food breaks over uh teal because he's a big strong man is the one who's supposed to twist all the little valve wheels to release pressure, but he passes out in the middle of uh, trying to spin one, and as he falls, you see the little bauble thing in the tube start to rise into the red danger zone. Um, I got the impression that this was him, because it looked like he was already once again kind of, you know, f starting to lose the effect of the stamp. I think that was just him being sick from not killing the reaming. I couldn't help but notice that the pressure was fine until he touched it. It looked like this might have been him at the tail end of, like, all the bad things and starting to once again shed the stamp. And so this is him going, like, moment of sabotage, maybe. He definitely wasn't acting, it seemed to me, in clear mind for... Well, here's the thing, and I think he definitely I want to give Deloise credit for directing here because I feel like it can very easily be taken two ways. It could be that he's once again fighting the memory stamp and he purposely sabotages it. Or 
there's like a timed response where you're supposed to spin this at this point to release the pressure and he passed out before because he started to touch that right right one, so it could be that he was trying over. to sabotage or failed to finish yeah, turning it. yeah exactly and i think because of the fact that it's a completely silent scene it could be either way uh so he passes out the pressure starts to build everyone's like it's gonna blow we have to get everyone out um and sam's like no, no no i can make this i can fix this so she goes over and does some l little fiddly things with the switches on the actual generator and gets uh jack and daniel to basically knock the 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 handle off to relieve the pressure and uh you know they do a good job of like immediately being able to work in tune with each other it's just a good uh scene of you know them instantly being a team um despite supposedly not knowing each other before this uh even with like the whole fact that like jack and daniel are trading blows on the thing you know yeah that like was they're really not cool. tangling with each other it makes me think of um uh the old days when they would do the spike tracks in yeah, the train I yeah the same thing, i was literally yeah. the same thing how they were so good at it that they didn't stop swinging and it was just like a constant barrage on the spike it was cool uh but yeah they knock it off they they stop the pressure uh they save uh, the place from blowing up and with the steam and and daniel falls on his ass in the meantime um and with the steam like separating him and jack jack offers him a meaningful hand up bringing him back away from the gay conversion therapy <laughs> back into the light yes that one's just a halogen bulb yes exactly <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they get saved, uh, for thanking the plant, and they all kind of meet up again, and Daniel starts talking revolution, uh, <laughs> and he's like, I dreamed about you, and Jack's like, what? <laughs> Dude, I love Jack's little moment where he goes, I've dreamed about other, other things. Mining. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't later, look he says, at mining Sam. naked, and I'm like, don't tell them about your wet dreams, Jack. <laughs> But yeah, he's like, I dream of other things. <laughs> you notice that both Sam and Daniel say that they dreamt of Jack because they're both married to him. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so they decide, like, he's like, we, we can't talk about this now where everyone can see us. We'll have to meet up at night, you know, where we won't get caught. Where we'll be even more conspicuous. Yeah. So they meet up at night to talk. And he, Daniel probes Jack's lack of memory for this place again. He starts just poking at all of those little vague holes. And he throws out, he casually throws out the word facade, which is like, that's, that's the biggest evidence that y you're coming back. <laughs> Nobody down here knows the word facade. <laughs> also, we had the thing where, oh, oh, before they decided to meet at night, he's like, we can't do this out, you know out during the day for crying out loud and they both kind of look at him he's like what just sing <laughs> just an expression right? yeah it's just an expression oh he says what it's what it's an expression and then um daniel's like pointing at like that you know these memories aren't real they seem to just be a facade like the barest information and once you start poking at them they fail and sam kind of agrees with him and in agreeing with him calls jack sir and they both kind of look at her, and she tries to offer up what? It's an expression. <laughs> I mean, in certain communities. I just love that. <laughs> so many jokes. 
What's nice about that is, again, it's a kind of double-layered answer because it's a... Uh, maybe triple layered because it's a it's a callback to the the joke of what is an expression for the crying out loud earlier right um it's also like her just trying to like cover up uncomfortable awkwardness because she doesn't know why she said that either and it also could just be a suggestion of how much like the people down here are not supposed to know that she might think sir is an expression you know like why would she not think it isn't you know but yeah, so they're, they're basically like, yeah, there's definitely something fucking up here, you know? There's something, something going fucky. on here, and we're going to start poking. Something fucky this way comes. Yeah, exactly. Um, while they're doing that, oh, Teal'c is in, in like, their version of a med bay, and he's, he's not reacting. He's, like, unconscious. Someone who is apparently some form of a medic down there wants to check his the wrapping around his stomach, where there's apparently a wound, and Berna says, absolutely fucking do not touch that. <laughs> Under no circumstances remove yeah. that bandage. We do not and have the budget for the CGI snake today. Yeah. So, so yeah. SG-1 or planning revelation, Teal'c is unconscious. Spoiler, he's just in Kellner Ream. But uh, he's unconscious for now. And then we go back to SGC, where Hammond is kind of... He's doing that thing where he's standing in, like, the briefing room that's got the window to the gate room and staring out at it. And he's having a conversation with Janet where he's basically like, yeah, I know he's a fucking liar, but I, I'm not really supposed to call him on his shit right now because we want, like, their metallurgy uh, advancements. And she's like, well, what do they want? And he's like, yeah, he wants addresses for the um, Stargate. And that's where I was like, oh, yeah, he definitely wants it for freaking slave labor for trafficking. I find it funny this, this super advanced culture didn't figure out geothermal. Right? Well, they didn't because they want to use the slave labor and they don't want these people to come up to their pristine city. Use them to work the geothermal vents. I just find it funny that they're using, like, well, it's like coal power or some shit right. like that. But there was... Uh, so... This scene is basically him setting up, like, the the military line of, like, hey, you can't really poke the bear with them because we do want this trade with them or whatever. And it ends with Hammond basically being like, well, I can't officially declare war on them, but I will be sending a covert rescue team in and Janet volunteering herself for the mission. Uh, but in this conversation, there's a line that was just it struck me so much that it's it's literally her entire thesis statement of this episode where Hammond says about Calder frankly I think he likes things the way just the way they are yep it's almost like the one percent wants Sta to yeah say, exactly don't worry trickle down economics will fix it someday someday I know it was introduced, you know, back in fucking Reagan's days or whatever, and still hasn't worked yet, but it, any day now, trickle-down economics will actually do what it's supposed, supposedly any, supposed to do. Any, 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 any day, any day they'll stop hoarding all of the wealth mm -hmm. and purposely setting up the system to make it too expensive to leave the poverty gap. Yeah, someday. So yeah, so Hammond's gonna send a covert mission and Janet's ready to bust some heads for her friends. For some reason, I genuinely thought you were gonna say bust a move. She's gonna bust a move. 
so we cut back to SG1, who are at lunch, and Jack has the whole thing about, I dreamt of mining naked, and Sam and Daniel just kind of look at him for a second, like, come on, dude. <laughs> and he borrows a man's bowl and turns it upside down and looks at it. And they're like, what? What is it? He's like, I don't know, but it means something. I love how he just looks over at this guy and goes, excuse me. And because I'm guessing his bowl still had food in it, this guy literally just goes, yeah, fine, whatever. I don't care why you're giving me extra food. Sure. And I just love how this beautiful interaction took place while this guy just, while very questioningly, just kind of goes, okay, fine. Take your fucking bowl, yeah. you fucking weirdo. Um, actually, I think the nighttime session is where they were talking about, um, I think the nighttime one is where Jack mentioned Homer. Is it? I know I missed the one. It's their down. snuggle session. It's their snuggle oh, is session. It? Okay. Yeah, because oh, he yeah, brings yeah, up is. the a misguided reference. So yes. The okay. I found, right I found my note. While on it. the right. surface, his description is a misguided reference to Major to General Hammond. and George yeah. S. Hammond. And this is also yet enough another reference to the fact that both O'Neill, the character, and RDA, the actor, have the same favorite television show. I don't hate The Simpsons. It's just not my type of humor. The uh, writers themselves are great. I like them. And I like yeah. their other work a lot better. I love Futurama. So I mean, I'm not shocked Jack would like The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so never mind. Um, yeah, so he, he does that thing and he turns it over and he looks at it. He's like, I don't know, but it means something. And then he gets a very brief flash of him turning away from a window and looking towards the camera and saying it's impressive or something along those lines. And that's all he gets. And he's still wearing his, like, his dirty clothes, his dirty mining clothes, his dirty factory clothes in that flash. His slave garb. Yeah, his slave garb. And then Keegan once again tries to convince Daniel to stay here and be straight, and he tells her sorry and, you know, pulls away from her. No heteronormative narrative for me today. Yeah, exactly. Not today, Satan. I don't need another girlfriend on another planet, no thank you. <laughs> Dude, seriously. What's this, the third one, fourth? I, I'm genuinely starting to lose count. There's the princess. Which princess? Uh, the broken divide. Um, See, which princess? The, There's too many princesses. The the one who brainwashed him with the sarcophagus. Oh, rapey princess. Yeah, rapey princess. Raped princess. Raped princess. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, princess from the movie. Young. <laughs> old, old lady, lady turned, turned young. young. Vala down the line. Vala later. <laughs> this chick. <Shade. laughs> That's five already. <laughs> We're missing at least one. I know we are. <sighs> yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Wow. I like how they created this show on the premise of this guy searching for his wife. Who then tragically dies. At him. And then yet he's also the Kirk of the show? Like, that seems weird. Not like a happy one. He's not usually happy. I know, but like, what the fuck is that? Like, wait. I mean, what? they cast Michael Shanks and they realized he was Ugh. too hot not to. <laughs> I feel like they just kind of looked at their casting and they're like, it's unreasonable to assume that women wouldn't try. <laughs> Did you see his shoulders in this episode? Honey, I saw all of him in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you saw all of him. <laughs> I made it work. <laughs> uh, okay. But yeah, 
yeah, so he he's he's like, no, no heteronormative uh, life for me. No thanks. My wife died. I'm done with that. <laughs> I had one go at it, and she died. So I'm turning away from the heteronormative life. Now I now I live under the new uh, in the new guise of fuck boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> he's even got the scruff. <laughs> Definitely has the smolder. Oh, yes, he does. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, over at Teal'c's area, he... This is actually when the, the, the doctor, the, the medic, the quote-unquote medic, because there's I'm no, guessing, like, actual indication that he's a medic, but he's the one tending to Teal'c. So that's actually what I was going to say. I think this is actually just yet another awesome element of the show of just kind of, like, showing, not telling, which is everybody seems to be holding on to key pieces of themselves, right? Like, math. And this, def- this guy uh, definitely has some pokiness. sort of medical thing. I don't know what Teal'c's deal is, being the alien. Yeah. Uh, but this guy being the medic makes me think, dude, maybe he no, was a doula. I, I like Who the fuck knows? But I feel like that's just indicated to me that he's in this role for a reason. I feel like Absolutely. they know that if they put them in a role that's way too adverse to like their personality type, that can make the stamp. Absolutely, not work. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm pulling this out of my ass as I speak, but no, it feels it like it makes sense me. to me. And I honestly, he's in the scene for he's in this episode for like a minute, but I like this guy. <laughs> I just like that he's, like, the whole time he's on the screen, his focus is entirely on Teal'c. He's worried about Teal'c. He wants to find a solution to helping Teal'c. Part of that is he says to Brenna, like, I, I think I should unwrap this bandage and maybe there's, like, like infection with the wound. And that's when she says, absolutely do not. And she kind of, like, makes him walk away from Teal'c at this point. Like, you know, if you without if you can't fix him without unwrapping the bandage then he's just gonna die you just gotta leave it alone uh, and makes him walk away and as they walk away you see teal wake up and start to unwrap the bandage we don't see him finish unwrapping it because they didn't want to have to deal with um, all that doing makeup. the fucking yeah the makeup and the prosthetics and everything so you just start to see him unwrap it so then we get a little scene with jack and sam where they're cuddling on the ground and it's a really nice again i love when heather ash writes the two of them it's really good you can feel the intimacy in this scene there's she's leaning on his shoulder and she's talking about things that she remembers and he starts to describe something he remembers, and he says, uh, a bald man with short sleeves, that I respect his opinions or whatever a lot. And then I he think ruins his it. name is Homer. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so, yeah, they're just kind of having this little quiet moment. As she's leaning on his shoulder, she says she likes some things about this place. Which is definitely a whole thing about the fact that they can be together. Whether she knows that they can't be together in the other place yet or not. Like, subconsciously, she knows that she likes this element of this. No matter what, this isn't something she's complaining about. Mm Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, upstairs, Calder has decided SG-1 are too dangerous to keep around anymore. Teal's reacting weird to the memory stamps. Hammond is probing. They both showed... They all showed a lot of initiative by solving that explosion thing. Like, Britta definitely came up to, like, report this to, like, commend them and give them, like, a reward, and he decided this was threatening. She is a beautiful example of naive Stockholm Syndrome type stuff. Like, she's so she's trying so hard for all of the wrong reasons, but she's not a bad guy for it. 
Yeah, and she tries to be like, well, we can just restamp them, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, absolutely not. At this point, it's, it's too dangerous, um, especially with how much their bosses are probing. It's it's too dangerous. We just got to get rid of them. Uh, they want to know what's outside so badly. We'll show them. And while this com while this conversation is happening, Jack has his full dream, the one that we saw at the beginning of the little flash of him turning away from a window and very saying impressive. it's impressive. Very impressive. Now we see him turn away from the window, and at first he's still wearing the the factory garb, but then as he like steps forward, suddenly he's in like his tactical gear, and he is suddenly in the room that Brenna was just in with Calder, and he's confronting Calder about his slave labor. He's like, yeah, uh, we found your little secret, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm just assuming that means they did enough recon to find out that this was in fact a slave force rather than, for example, a penal colony of sorts. Like, yeah. My first thought would have been, okay, so this is obviously a disparity, a uh, labor camp. Like, while not good, at least it's like first thought of somebody at least thinks they deserve to be here. Now, I know it still qualifies with the slave labor force, but you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, as yeah. in they've no, done get, something to earn a place here rather than just being born. Um, yeah. But... They don't say that, but I, I desperately have to assume that because otherwise mm -hmm. it's like, it's such a leap. It's such a, or it could have been that he's like doing a shot in the dark thing. Like he says the worst possible thing. Like he says slave, sees how they respond to the S word. And then if he goes yeah, that's like, also very they're not Jack, slaves, honestly. they're fucking prisoners. Jesus, what do you take us for? Then he can go, oh, okay. So this is how you think you can treat prisoners. Like I think he was just ready to be mad anyway, yeah. but he wanted to know what level of mad he needed to be. Yeah, I'd buy that for Jack. So yeah, in this dream, uh, this flashback, uh, Jack is like, SGC will not be negotiating with slave owners. We just blew up an entire Nazi encampment like four episodes ago. We're not doing this, buddy. <laughs> so yeah, so he and he, um, the scene kind of ends with him asking him like, how do you keep them under control? And uh, Calder saying, I'll show you. It's a good thing the scene cuts at that point because there's no other way. There was no way Heather Ash could, and she knew this, there was no way to convincingly portray not that just Jack could be taken SG1 out by one getting taken out, but just Jack alone. Jack. Yeah. He was wearing like nearly riot gear. And this motherfucker got the drop on him. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's not. You know, it's yeah. not a thing. Like this, they're on his turf. He could have Mall like a stun lasers. spray yeah. or something. Yeah. Who the fuck knows? But I find it funny. I had to. But not they got taken out as a group. It more believable, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Honestly, and like even outside of the fact that it's honestly more believable not to show how he gets taken out again with I think there's a strength in the construction of the fact that the flashback ends with him telling jack i'll show you and then we come back to a still slightly mind wiped jack yeah like i think it's it's like that's the answer there you go mind wiping <laughs> like i praise that moment because it's like yeah you'd have to cut there because yeah absolutely for a variety of reasons but honestly even outside of having to cut there it's just really it's, yeah. it's good storytelling the pen might be mightier than the sword, but the bureaucrat is never mightier than the fucking train soldier. No. Sorry. Especially the green beret. Yeah, sorry. So, um, Brenna gets all of SG-1 brought into their room. Teal'c unconscious on a cot gets brought in and then left on, like, the side. And then, um, they just 
they try it's great because they uh the, the uh, sam's like is he gonna be okay and jack and daniel well uh i think jack says kill noreen first no i and think then, it's uh, daniel daniel says okay it. well between the two of them they outline that this is kel noreen he was feeling sick because he has to do it at least once a day like they're both getting the memory yeah. like one of them says kel noreen and then it kind of cascades the memory yeah. and they all kind of feed it out they just tag team um, it from there yeah they're doing their their synchronized thing, but not synchronized. <laughs> but yeah, so we know that like he's just Kelnareeming to it's to reassure any of the viewers at home who didn't pick up. It's like don't worry, he'll be okay. <laughs> and they, st what I like about this is they start to think that they have to confront her about everything being a lie and everything, and she's just like, yeah, it is, and I'm I'm gonna send you home, <laughs> like, cause she's she's like. Okay, it's one thing to keep you guys down here. I'm already doubting that, but I'm not gonna agree to be part of killing you. Absolutely not. So, so she's like, "Yes, you're right. Absolutely, I'm gonna get you guys home." And then, as she's like giving them, like, there was like these watches or something on the table, but I don't know what she was gonna give them. To I help think it's them those GDOs. Out. I think it was their GDOs. Oh, okay. That okay. That makes okay. There you go. Thank you. Question answered. She was gonna give them their gear back to get through the gate. Okay. And as she's about to do that, Calder comes through with guards and Nintendo guns and has the worst fucking aim in the world because Brenna is two feet away from him and he shoots her in the arm. What? <laughs> I want to be mad about it. because like, uh, So on one hand, it tracks that he wouldn't he's have trained with a gun. Yeah. yeah, this makes sense. But yeah, also, come on. He's also an asshole. He probably wanted to make her watch them get killed. Yeah, I just find it funny. Also, I, I can't I can't speak to this because I have never been shot, thankfully. Also, I have no intention of testing that. Although I do live in America, yeah. so it's not really my decision. Um, But she got shot in the R. Yeah. And she's, like, fucking down. And I I'm mean, like, don't know what isn't kind of guns adrenaline they have. a thing? Okay, true. Okay, I just kind of assumed it was, like, a bullet because it looked and acted like a bullet. No, it's a Nintendo <laughs> gun. Are you kidding me? Yeah, right. But, yes, it's, like, it just looked... I, 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 again, I haven't been shot, so I, I really yeah. can't judge anybody who's in shock. But I also yeah, know yeah. adrenaline's a thing, and so it just feels good. So when people, like, when she's, like, clutching what looks like a tiny little hole in her arm, and she's going, like, oh, my God, I'm out for the count, and I'm like... <laughs> okay you're not evolution's best example are you no but it's okay because evolution's best example is out of his kelno ream and i just... once had a weapon in my hand at a surprise party and then upon the surprise part i threw the weapon on the ground yes i remember so, that that was it's on so film funny it's that it's shit was on so funny so yeah i can't judge um it's good thing it wasn't me because i probably would have thrown it at the nearest person <laughs> Yeah, that would have been better. That at least would have been something to deter a threat. Yes, unlike but the nearest person would have been a friend. Pure helplessness. I, don't I also throw. just kind of like turned my back to everybody a little bit. And just kind of went like, ah, like here, kill me. Like I'm just here. I don't. I didn't see even try to run. <laughs> I surrender. <laughs> so yeah, I I can't really judge this chick, but I I but watch me. Yeah. Um. But teal. Comes out of his Kelnarine, beats the shit out of the guards. Uh, SG-1 drags Calder out onto the the little bridge overlooking the factory below and tells everyone down there the truth. And Calder, this is why he's administrator. Like, even, like, being held hostage with a fucking gun to his head. Like, he, A, keeps his cool. 
and still tries to keep lying to them. People like to call actors professional liars, and every time I hear it, all I can think, well, these days, whenever I hear that, all I can think is, then what is a fucking politician? They are professional liars. But yeah, so that just always amuses me, these moments especially. It's like, yeah, he would have to be slimy and oily. Up until very recent times, it was always laughable, the concept of such a jokester getting into power, because, like, mm. how would that work? They're not convincing. Who the fuck would vote for that? Turns out... Racists the world's who a broken, are afraid of place. losing all of their power. That's how. So yeah, uh, I like this representation of Calder because honestly it reminds me of a beautiful time when we used to, like when you elected somebody terrible, it was because they were good at what they did. I'm remembering that time with yeah. nostalgia. But yeah, so so he tries to to pretend that they, they went crazy and they're taking him hostage and he he just works in a sector that they haven't seen before. And you can see they're already kind of, like, they're not immediately rioting, but they're not really buying it from him either. Like, they're starting, there's already starting to be, like, this wave, but Jack's like, I'm not, I'm not patient enough for this. And I get what he's going for, and I get the visual, and it's a good visual. I just wish there had been a half a second to show that, the light that he shot, the, 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 the skylight, the glass ceiling that he shot out that below it, there was no people. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, cool. And then a bunch of glass like, rained down on anybody people. anybody under that glass ceiling you just shot out, they're going to be torn to shreds, especially because they all look up. Yeah. Right. Right. I right, just needed right. like, I needed like the camera to move from the ground, like, like, as he shoots up, like, I don't know, somehow have the travel of the camera show that there is nobody under that glass. Because <laughs> I was immediately like, that's going to cut people to fucking ribbons and put out eyes because they're looking up. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, there's also a good. Okay. Those guys have to be pretty fucking big to a you know, certain yeah, extent. It it's a very big so, light. Like, there's a there's a very significant chance of people getting um carotid arteries severed and shit like mm -hmm. that. Like. Like you're looking up. That's a that's a that's a very sensitive area, I and it all takes it a sharp shard of anybody. Well, I would ha you would have to yeah. assume. Consider especially my favorite part is how they all run underneath it too. Yeah, you're right. There's not enough time for any of this stuff that is dangerous to have not yeah. to have had time to become not dangerous. But I get the visual. I get the dramatic visual. I get it. I get it. It's just I immediately worried. It's kind of like in all of those fucking superhero movies. I immediately think of how expensive it's gonna be to replace all those buildings. But yeah. So he shoots out the glass, and there's a brief moment where everyone like screams because they're expecting like a blizzard to come in through um the glass, but they get sunlight instead, and you get a little moment of like all of them basking in the sunlight and just being like amazed and everything which is kind of a requisite for this kind of story and uh they're all just marveling at that and up on the on the catwalk calder's like the city would never accept them and jack's like yeah you're right but you know what we'll find some he, he does the whole beach thing that you were talking about but he, he more or less is like we'll find some place that will accept them but yeah so and and like he's like oh it'll never this the city will never accept and it's like yeah great we we don't want to leave these people with people who were enslaving them to begin with we're gonna take them somewhere better and then he's like oh if you take away our our labor force you'll ruin us and jack's like well that'll ruin you maybe it should have happened a while ago 
Maybe yep. take some of those plans that Sam gave Brenna earlier and put them into effect. He's really worried about the fact that uh, he's going to lose a lot of fucking power when the rest of the city finds out what he just lost. Right? I'm not sure what happens when you lose your- even, even if it doesn't actually adversely affect you all that much. Like, for example, if you replace all of that with just automation or whatever, and it's like, yeah, you need someone to maintain it, but it already looks like you have- a system in place for maintaining your workforce for example people like brenna like you already have that gray area in place so yeah that doesn't feel yeah. like it's going to be that hard to transform no. so yeah i uh, i don't really see it's adversely affecting their population in any significant degree but that's yeah. just my ignorant view i guess yeah so jack's basically like yeah if you die because you lost a slave labor force i don't fucking care you deserve it more like, or less is oh what he no basically says. The antebellum way of life died. How oh, no. terrible. But yeah, so they, um, what I like is, again, Heather, again, Heather Ash, I, I love her writing Sam and Jack. It's amazing. Because instead of, instead of most, I would say 98% of Stargate episodes ending with, like, and we're going to take you all to a better place. And everyone would be like, yeah, or whatever. The episode ends quietly with them, you know, telling Calder the whole thing about, yeah, well, if, yeah, fuck you. if your system can't live without slave labor, then your system deserves to die. And then we just go off separately, alone, with Sam and Jack, where you just get a nice, quiet, little intimate moment where they're back to, you know, they have to be back to subordinate and, and um, guy Superior. in charge. Superior, thank you. But it's just another quiet little moment where they're starting to slot back into the spots they're supposed to be in, superior and subordinate. But they they basically, without explicitly saying it out loud, without actually saying the words explicitly, express that they're a little sad that they have to go back to the status quo instead of that ease that they had before when they didn't have the command structure separating them it was a nice relationship while it lasted yeah and it's just a nice quiet i like that it goes out on that you don't get that no, many not personal closeouts no. it's usually um an action closeout or like a you know a narrative closeout but this is a personal private closeout and i i really fucking appreciate that that's the end of the episode i think it's one of the strongest episode endings we've had. Heather Ash continues to earn her fucking keep. <laughs> I love this episode. I just love this. This is thing. only like her, what, fourth episode, and she just impresses me every time. Every time. No, she's great. So uh, on that note, I don't think it's any sort of question or shock that we're going to be giving her a thumbs up for this episode. Yeah, this is this is literally her fourth episode, and we have only given her thumbs up. Great writer. Great writer. I'm so glad that she got added to the, to the slot. Um, are you a Jack or are you a Daniel this episode? I am a Jack in this episode. Daniel made some, uh, some very valiant attempts, but honestly, it's down to a couple of things. Like, for example, I am in love with Sam, and I, of course, would immediately have jumped on the opportunity yeah, to be in I a figured. relationship with her. Duh. Like, I would assume yeah. I'd have chemistry with her at this point. Uh, That's fair. And I agree with a lot of the sentiments he was saying, just at any given point, with the exception of Simpsons, but fuck it. And <laughs> you would have had it, but it would have been for Futurama or something. Yeah, exactly. 
But yeah, so uh, yeah, it, it was really just down to feel more than anything. I can even see you doing the thing where so you just much. ask someone for their empty bowl. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I just, it was, there was just a lot of little stuff. It was, I just, yeah, I really, I felt like Jack this episode. I, yeah, I think Jack and Daniel were both very um, easy to um, associate with. Again, I'm not thinking of the right word I want with the uh, sympathize, empathize yeah. with, whatever. Yeah. I I even felt like the whole, hey, can I, can I see that? And just like not explaining why I need his empty bowl. <laughs> um, but I really feel the whole Daniel refusing not to poke at it and basically doing the why, why, why. Well, you know, you know when you're like two and that's the word you learn. But that's like the other thing too is that with Jack is that he's he's not against doing it. It's just that he was in a he's he's got a good thing going right now. He's not, yeah, exactly. He's not, no, I don't blame him for that. He's not he's not willing to uh, rock that boat if he doesn't need to. And the main reason why he's not agreeing with Daniel is because he doesn't know this guy. This guy's yeah. coming up to him, and this guy, as far as he's aware, is not somebody to really you know to, to trust. Mm-hmm. So this guy's coming up and saying you should ask a bunch of, a bunch of questions and get in trouble. And Jack's going no. <laughs> how about i don't do that also who the fuck are you oh that's cool you have dreams about me in puddles okay you need to leave me alone that's that's me that's me 100 yeah. like sure on one hand i could go start poking on things but if i'm already if i'm just for whatever reason in a situation where i'm not poking and someone tells me to start poking yeah fuck you yeah no i get that and I will say, um, on a slightly darker, not that dark, but slightly uh, darker note, another way I uh, associate with Daniel in this episode is um, one person trying to tell you who you can be friends with. <laughs> this is from, like, uh, middle school, high school era. Uh, not a problem anymore, but um, I've, several times I've had possessive friends try and keep me from making other friends. So I felt that on the Keegan angle as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Daniel this time. <laughs> Not as fun of a reason as the other one. No. <laughs> Not always fun in games here on Point of Origin. Sometimes it's Point of Origin Trauma Edition. Yay! Uh, speaking of trauma, um, nobody died. Teal made a go of it by not doing Kelnorim. But he didn't either. Um, funny thing, um, there's actually been uh, no deaths so far to the point that I haven't actually made a tally list for season four yet. <laughs> last one I made was for season three, and it was at episode eight was the last death we had. So they're doing well right now. I'm very proud of them, honestly. Knock on wood. Yeah, it's not going to last. <laughs> Knock on the wood of somebody's inevitable casket. Uh, but yeah, so... um. Yeah, good job, guys. That was a fucking phenomenal episode. I loved it. Next week, we are covering season four, episode 11, Point of No Return. And the synopsis for this episode is, When a quirky conspiracy theorist contacts SG-1 claiming to know classified information about the Stargate, at first, they think he's bluffing, but when they investigate his wild claims, they realize he's a lot closer to the truth than they thought, and has a few more shocking surprises up his sleeve. Your fucking reaction. <laughs> of all the storylines to bring back for episode 200, this 
never would have entered into my... But episode 200 is so good. <laughs> right? But, like, if you had told me that this is the episode... <laughs> right? <laughs> ...that they would use... Wild. I would have <laughs> laughed at you. And then while you showed me the evidence of it, I would have kept laughing and been like, wow, man, deep fake technology is getting really good in the future, isn't it? I was like, when is Wormhole Extreme? That's episode 100. It's a wild concept to decide to make your 100 episodes about. <laughs> this guy, though, but this guy, this guy. Like, when I say this episode, I mean the guy from yeah. this episode. Uh -huh. Like, Martin, this I guy. I love Martin. <laughs> He's a perfect casting choice. I'm not mad about anything, but I he's just... He's great. I'm just he's sitting a fun here actor. That, it's that moment of like, wow, there's a reason why I don't work in this field because I never would have come up with that. Right. Uh, but yeah, so that'll be next week. We'll finally get to see Martin. So until then, uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at It's Mel Notless or our podcast Twitter at Point of Origin PC. You can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com or write something outside of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in our show notes. And if you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for joining us in our incursion through the iris. And until next time. Bye.